This is Up Your RPG, helping you up your role-playing game. In this episode, we're dipping our toes into the deep pool of metagaming. It will certainly be a regular topic on this show, but to kick it off, we're continuing the character creation theme and discussing min-maxing. Let's get to it. Thanks for joining us on Up Your RPG. My name's Arthur. I am here with Michael, Emily, and Rick tonight to talk about min-maxing. Michael, get us going. Hey, yeah, this is a great topic. I think it's something that happens at most tables or most tables have to deal with at some point. And uh, maybe we get started off with uh, people's ideas about what min-maxing is, maybe a personal definition of it. Anybody want to jump in there? Crickets. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm not going to push the crickets button. the internet froze for a second. Uh, no, that was us. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, since there was some head shaking, I will start. Um, it, for me, and this is actually a, an interesting topic for me because I kind of go back and forth on this. I actually, even though I'm really character driven and when I create characters, I'm really into personality and backstory and voice and, uh, you know, I try to give my characters life. With the exception, or even, you know what, I got to say, even with, in Call of Cthulhu, I do spend time looking at my abilities and my stats and, uh, you know, trying to build in a certain direction. Um, and even though I will tell people, don't do this, I, I do it myself. Uh, so the definition of it, I, I think, is is trying to maximize your numbers, uh, your stats and skills but I, I would I would go a step further in saying that it's it's at the expense of personality and backstory and narrative. It's it's putting numbers before character. What do you guys yeah, think of that? And I yeah, I think that's a great definition. I would argue that you're just building character though in your example when you're kind of focused on those numbers i think stats are indicative of characters abilities and everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses I, to me min maxing is um along the lines of what you said but um to me it, it takes the essence out of role playing when you're min maxing and instead if i was going to do that i'd rather play a board game that has like extremely well balanced classes and pieces because then that's what I'm focused on is mechanics. And so to me, min maxing is a mechanic driven RPG versus a role playing driven RPG. Mm -hmm. Rick, Emily, you want to jump in there? So I shook I my head. No, when you asked <laughs> if anyone wanted to define it, because I really wanted to hear first, I, I told Michael before the session, are you sure you want me to come on? I've never min-maxed a character and I probably never will. But then Art, when you described what it was, I immediately started to get confused. Like, wait, that's what I do every time. Certain stats, but certain stats that relate to my character's strengths. I mean, I always privilege certain stats and not others, but I don't do it for the, <laughs> the long-term outcome of like, beating the game i just do it because of my character's strengths and weaknesses so i don't think that's i think we're agreeing that's not what min maxing is right yeah and th and that's why you haven't beat call of cthulhu yet too just to put that out <laughs> that's why we that's keep losing the reason? <laughs> that's it <laughs> it's all emily's fault mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, so, so I think I would add a, a few other caveats to that, right? It's, it's not just um, at the, at, at um, you're sacrificing backstory or character. You're, you're sacrificing the potential for care, more character development. I think it's the other piece for me uh, when you're sort of choosing, you know, this is the maximum possible way I can get the most out of a fighter in D&D, right? At the expense of everything else. And inevitably, you know, you end up with this low intelligence fighter and either you role play it that way, which maybe saves a little bit with, to the frustration of probably the party, um, um, you know, or, or you don't. And, and then you just basically negate your own uh, detriments, right? Um, it actually started right in, in advanced D&D the first time people coined it. And it was in like the mid 90s when people were choosing sort of what is the largest or strongest weapon proficiency I can have to deal the most damage uh, to counter what the DM is going to throw at me. So you're sort of metagaming it on, a, on the highest level rather than sort of getting into it, having this backstory about a character who loves battle axes because it was sort of a tradition passed down from, from their father's father, yada, yada, yada. Um, and you can get into that, right, as, as a role-playing element. But if you know you're going to take this proficiency because it's to, 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 to do the most damage, you can get through the game quicker um, and quote-unquote win it. I think that's that, again, turns it into more of a video game and removes that sort of role-playing element. Yeah, I, I think Some, that a, a sort of quick check is if you're building a character and you start a campaign and you know that you are going to do the most amount of damage per round, you're probably min-maxing. If you've done that calculation and you've looked at, okay, if, if I use this weapon and take this skill and this thing happens and then that happens, then I'll be able to do X amount of damage, you're probably paying a little too much attention to numbers. And I and I don't want to sit on a high horse here, right? I mean, we've been playing role playing games. I think collectively each at least five years plus. Um, and Emily yeah, a little yeah. newer to it, right? But I, you know, I think we have a different perspective coming in mm -hmm. later on, right? Where that now is much more appealing. I think when you're first sitting down and your only basis for RPGs are our board games or video games, I think that's a natural inclination, and I don't think it's wrong. I think you know RPGs in general are supposed to you know primarily be about kind of joint storytelling and escapism, and for a lot of folks, if that means you know you're a a buffed out you know monk or or fighter, then you know and that 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 sort of allows you to have that you know four hours a week of of, of relaxation and sort of you know being able to, to do that, I think that's wonderful. Um, but I think at some point sort of that hits a, a short high that that maybe isn't as lasting as this sort of character development you can get otherwise. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, and, and I think that that sort of should underpin almost everything that we talk about that, you know, when you're playing a game, the point is to have fun. And if it's right for your table and you're having fun with your group, then yeah, go for it. Um, I, I think that what we're trying to do is, like you said, um, we've we certainly started that way. I certainly started that way. And, and like I said, I have a hard time getting rid of it. Um, but as long as you are having a good time, um, that's, that's what you should be doing. But I think there is a sort of natural progression with role players that you, you do start to get more into the character part. And I think your, your point about a quick high is a great one that, um, you get more out of it, um, in terms of the, the, the collective storytelling aspect of it being more fulfilling um, when you can get away from uh, from the numbers. So I actually want to ask you a question. Yeah, hit me. Michael, do you want to? No, go ahead. 
Okay. Uh, because I know you put a lot into your characters, into character and backstory. And you've also said that you used to min-max more. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you find that that actually limited you? Like, is that why you do it less now? Yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, I mentioned in a previous episode about a, a character that was a complete flop. Um, that was that I based on uh, well, that you Brienne killed of Tarth. Off because yeah, yeah, that's for okay. another episode. Of what to do when you when you <laughs> find you hate a character? Um, yeah. But uh, it, yeah, that character was uh, you know I went. It was a uh, she was a paladin um, because that seemed to make sense uh, for Brienne of Tarth, um, and I spent a lot of time looking at what paladin I wanted to play and how I wanted to balance that character. And I think I, I spent more time in researching, you know, most powerful paladin builds um, than I did thinking about how is this character going to pr- progress as a person and how can I sort of grow with this character as I'm playing. Uh, and, and that, in hindsight, was a mistake. At the time, it seemed like the right way to go. You know, I was making a character and uh, so I got to make the best character I can have. Um, and I, I do think that, uh, like Rick mentioned, um, it, it it came from a sort of video game background um, that I had been playing a lot of World of Warcraft at the time um, and raiding. So maximizing your damage output or maximizing your, your heals per second or maximizing your threat level of your tank was all a part of that sort of end game process. Uh, so that's where my mindset was. Um, you're not actually playing a real character in, in World of Warcraft. You're, you know, trying to actually beat a game. So, you know, it was part of that sort of learning process as I played more to, to get out of that numbers game. And, and I'll say as somebody who's who was first with you as a player and has since sort of been with you as a player subsequently and even as a GM, um, I've, I've noticed that, I would say, and it's actually I've noticed you're having maybe even more fun. You know, if we go back five years, I think, you know, certainly noticed a little bit more of the min-maxing the characters in terms of, I think you had another, was it Paladin or something in Strahd, um, you know, or, or elements that maybe didn't have as much character background. They did, maybe it was a paragraph, but it wasn't, I think, the sort of depth that now you have to your characters. And I think you're getting much more into them. And I see the role-playing elements come out much more. And, you know, I, I just, um, at least from my perspective, sort of as a, you know, third party, I, I see you kind of having more fun. Um, and I think getting into it more, to be honest with you. So I think that sort of uh, rings true. Yep. Agreed. I, yeah. I, it was something that you said really early on, Rick, about that this was something that happened in AD&D as a response to uh, players trying to get the biggest, baddest sword to deal with whatever the the DM or GM at that um, threw at them. And I, I, I'm wondering, you know, one thing that's, with kind of the revolution of gaming in general, the emergence of all kinds of independent RPGs, like if you think about uh, uh, the Ten Candles or Bluebeard or any of those things that have really gone out in reach of in search of storytelling, that um, the the culture of that's changed. And right, I'm thinking about Wayne at the panel this weekend talking about you know going in search of like what makes a great uh, GM. And it, that that whole idea that it, if there's a, a shift now that more people are are interested in story or going after story, that the, there can be kind of this natural move away from the min max, and that you know if, that that's kind of best suited in Diablo or something like that that's more video game driven, but that 
if you're sitting down as a group of GM and players and you want to build this story together, that really you don't you don't have to have that piece in there anymore, that that component's not necessary because it's not you versus the GM. There's no meat grinder. There's no tomb of annihilation to like kind of wipe out the high level characters. Right. It's more about like, what do we do together and where can we go together is, is one of my, when you said that it just kind of triggered something for me. Yeah. I think that's an excellent point. And I have a question for the two uh, GMs in the group. What do you both implement to um, both sort of get around when a player is really trying to min-max and trying to um, uh, tune a character for battle? Uh, And are there tips for other GMs for uh, things not to do uh, to sort of help players, to encourage players to go more on the character side and less on the the combat side because i'll just say this is still sort of a thing that i think about particularly when playing D and creating a character that um i feel like there are times when i want to put in a character driven element that would sacrifice uh, a combat element and i feel like that i am going to then nerf myself in a combat situation so um, there are times when i'm actually hesitant to do that uh, so as a player, I'll I'll reach out to a to a GM and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about this. I I did it with you, Rick, um, at one point. There was a weapon that I forget what character it was. It was some character who had a um, it was like a glaive or something, and I wanted to use it, but um, it was more for flavor and less for damage, uh, and I was worried about getting nerfed with it. Uh, so are there any 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 scenarios you've come up with, tips or tricks, anything that that um, that you can help other GMs with? Uh, did you want to start, Michael? Sure. I mean, I you know, I think one thing we talked about over the weekend, of course, is uh, is reducing combat and its role in the game. I think, uh, Rick, you might have put that out there. Um, I, I think what becomes problematic is when you have someone who's min-maxed to the point that they're expecting to do the most damage, then they t- tend to take over at a table, right? And part of our role as GM, in my mind, is mediator. And so you're trying to have uh, at least give everybody the opportunity to participate in building the story. And if every time there's some sort of physical conflict that arises and you have one person who wants to be the character to do it, um, then that presents an imbalance at the table. And so um, thinking of ways, um, I, I tend to be a little bit harsher in my approach and I make things really rough for that character. And, and but I'm also above the table about the fact that if you want to play that character, you know, I'm I'm not going to wholeheartedly fight you on it. I'd recommend you make these changes so that we can have some balance and other people can participate and have that conversation. Um, but often if somebody chooses to kind of push forward on that, then, you know, there's going to be large boulders that roll off the mountain that they may not be able to avoid so quickly. <laughs> so those kinds of things. But um, that's that's more. um kind of my style but rick i know you have some good thoughts on this yeah i have i have probably a few um i mean i'll start with i've got the second edition here ad and d guide and they actually said to counter min maxing uh to place players in situations where their choices were suboptimal to create dramatic tension um and i think you can go a lot of ways with that but that was sort of rightly like your 
initial sort of touchstone on on how to handle it, maybe as a GM. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I, you know, you can balance it in different ways. Let's say you have a party who enjoys the hack and slash, but you do have a couple min maxers. I, I would probably advise picking up a copy of of either the monsters know what they're doing or other sort of sort of tactics that you can sort of read and. Um, kind of looking at sort of from the monster or creature's perspective, you know, uh, using spells that would rely on saving throws for wisdom or intelligence, being able to target maybe the the character who's just running in and doesn't look necessarily the brightest to your, your Leroy Jenkins of the group. Um, that should be obvious maybe to, you know, your, your mind flayer, right, who's sitting there looking at this sort of uh, individual jaunting in. Um, and trying to role play it even from that perspective where you're, you're not being particularly mean, you're just sort of looking at sort of what's coming at you, right, as a GM and handling it appropriately. And it just so happens that you're going to end up with maybe more intelligence or, or, you know, dexterity or what have you, saving throws, right, that plays maybe at the, the weaknesses of those characters. Um, but you also don't want to penalize folks for having fun and doing what they enjoy. So I think it's it's about creating that tension. I'm um, going back to sort of that 1995 um, um, text. Um, the other ways that I've really enjoyed playing around with it, um, I would first advise if you have a group that's doing this, um, pick out or find um, there's some great funnels. We talked about this at a panel recently. Um, uh, where basically you, you give characters three level zero uh, characters and they do a series of dice rolls to come up with who they are. They're a, they're a baker with a, with a, you know, a, I don't know, a limp or a, a bricklayer uh, who's got hay fever or, or whatever. And you create these sort of roles to create bonds between the characters and they come up with their own. And then you sort of see who survives. And, and it's like the exact opposite of min-maxing because you end up with these like really wonky characters uh, that are just have this wonderful backstory. And I think for me in doing that the first couple of times, what I think I enjoyed and what I think a lot of people enjoy is you end up with these like wonderful backstories from nothing um, and sort of the the mage who happens to have like a higher strength than you probably would in any other situation and has to sort of overcome that. And like, that's a wonderful like foundation for story. Um, I think the third thing I would suggest, um, and this just happened by chance, um, our group seemed to have uh, misplaced their portable hole and their bag of holding and ended up in the astral plane and gave them a chance to go there uh, in, in 5e. And um, depending on what you're reading, you can do different things with the astral plane, but I, I had fun flipping all of their stats. And so they had to replace, I think it was uh, strength for intelligence, dexterity for wisdom, and constitution for charisma, something like that. Yeah, something like um, that. There's there's some guides out there, um, kind of describing how you can have some fun, and and it like they kept their same classes, but it completely flipped their stats, and it was sort of fascinating to see how you guys troubleshooted that over the next you know couple of months as we played, and I think it really put the whole stat focus of D&D on its head. And, and what I thought was sort of a fun way, it was certainly frustrating at times for you guys, but I also think sort of it, it maybe allowed you guys to, to grow a bit more on a, on a role-playing setting. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I would just add that um, you're, you're bringing up the funnel thing. Actually, it gave me a little bit of anxiety um, because that, that actually is a bit of a, a, a pet peeve of mine. I, I love, a lot about the funnel. Um, I really love that whole character creation process. There's a, the one that we played a few times. You, you roll dice to see what your traits are, um, you know, what your profession is, um, what your name is, and it's just all fun and ridiculous. 
uh, and then playing the funnel is a ton of fun because it's it, it really is a meat grinder. Just characters just die in the most ridiculous ways um, throughout this whole thing, and you wind up with this one character, and that's your thing. Um, but I have to say, what I hate about it is that thing that that you said at the end there that you sort of threw in is you know a mage who has high strength, um, which is fine from a storytelling aspect. Um, but the thing that I would suggest as as a GM if you're going to put in an element like that or an element like like you did with the the flipping the stats is make sure that you know six months or a year from then you're not penalizing that character for having poor stats um because there there does tend to be uh, a weird feedback loop especially in games like um D D, where it is more combat heavy than something like say call of cthulhu um where the when you're in combat, and we're going to talk about this in a, in a later episode too, people tend to drop out of character in combat um, and then go to numbers. And when you go into that phase, if that's the way your table operates, you really then are nerfed for doing the character part if the GM isn't balancing for that. Uh, and, I, and I think that, that that's an important piece on, on the GM side is to just make sure that you remember that we're now we're in combat, but these characters are not optimized. So let's not punish them for being not optimized. Yeah, I, I think that's perfect, right? I mean, I, you don't necessarily have to play those funnel characters if you don't want to, but you could also use it as a touchstone, right? Yeah. If you have a mage with high strength, they could become a blade master or something, right? And yeah. sort of have a whole sort of character arc. Um, but I agree, it, a lot of it ultimately comes down to how the DM um, or GM um, scales the battle. So if you end up with those situations, you should probably scale it appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that applies to a lot of different situations. And the onus is on the GM to make sure as the narrator, narrator or storyteller that you're you're sort of meeting that tension um, in, in an appropriate way without penalizing folks. But um, I think that's a great point. Okay. I think that might also be our kind of largest learning curve as as gms right or maybe the thing that 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 you spend the most time learning is how to come up with creative solutions how to really view the world as not good and evil but npcs and villains or enemies living out their desires in character and and allowing space for you know, not just kind of sword and sorcery to take place, but as well as some 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 dialogue or some happenstance or those kinds of things that intervene that really kind of make the memorable moments. And that's going to put a wrap on this week's session of Up Your RPG. Thanks for joining us. You can always find us at upyourrpg.com and hopefully we've contributed to your game. Now go find a table. Mm